You ever wonder what Vanilla Ice's next most popular song was after Ice Ice Baby? Or why exactly that guy was too sexy for his shirt? Was it pronounced Woot There It Is or Woomp There It Is? Find out the answers to all these questions and more each week on One Hit No Wonder, where Matt and Nolan take on two one-hit wonders, then dig a little deeper into the folks who wrote those songs to decide which artist was more deserving of the coveted title One Hit Wonder. And who knows, our close personal friend, Scott Stapp, may even drop by. That's One Hit No Wonder. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. I've been a journalist for nearly two decades, and whether I'm writing about a single person or an entire city, there's a consistent thread that I love to tug at. How can I tell the most impactful story? What do people need to know about the characters in here? What am I trying to convey? How should I navigate the flow? So it's one of those stories that you just need to keep reading or listening to. I make that caveat because though many of my stories have been in written form, I've been fortunate enough to do some audio work as well. And it's certainly got its differences. You can't always rely on visuals to help your narrative move along. And the power of sounds and music in just the right spot can really enhance the overall feeling. The point is, there are a lot of cool things going on in this audio space, and today's guest is shining a light on them. Like in the you should pay attention to what they're doing way, not you accidentally turn your phone's flashlight on and blind yourself kind of way. Rachel Hansen is editor-in-chief of the digital magazine Sound Sorceresses, highlighting women who are doing incredible work in audio storytelling. And there's not a lot out there in this realm, and that needs to change because there are a lot of cool women in podcasting and audio storytelling. And by the end of this episode, I encourage you to check some of them out. I'm Joey Held. This is Good People, Cool Things. And here's my conversation with Rachel Hansen. Can you give us your name and elevator pitch and also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Joey. And so my name is Rachel Hansen. Usually when I introduce myself, I introduce myself as a bit of a project addict. Maybe like a lot of neurodiverse people, I really like starting things like a lot. Um, <laughs> but I'm here today as the editor-in-chief of Sound Sorceresses, which is a quarterly magazine that highlights women working in audio storytelling. And two initial questions to start. First of all, where did the idea for Sound Sorceresses come from? And did you choose a name with so many S's because you'd be writing it more than you would be saying it? <laughs> Before we started recording, uh, we were talking a little bit about not liking video podcasts. And so I'm going to, uh, as I'm talking about my friend, I'm also going to do a little podcast plug. Um, so Steph Fuccio, who is an American expat living in Denmark, um, and does some really lovely uh, audio-only uh, entrepreneur meditation podcasts. Um, she and I were starting to kind of notice this trend on social media, right? We're kind of, I mean, those of us who are working at podcasting are feeling the the recession a little bit, but right there was a big boom in podcasting that we're kind of equalizing out from now. And across articles being written about podcasting, there were a lot of guys who were being quoted in these articles, and especially about uh, like the technical aspects of 
podcasting. Maybe this goes without saying, and I'll say it anyway. Obviously, like men are great, men are wonderful, right? Like we're here having this conversation. <laughs> um, but it's not only men, right, who are working in podcasting. And so she and I uh, kind of just sort of quietly started doing a lot of commenting, right? Uh, this was a really great article. It's too bad that you didn't quote any women in it. And there was always some version of a reply that we just can't find any women working in podcasting. And she and I and a bunch of other women that we knew were all like, uh, hey. How hard are you looking? <laughs> well, like, we're right here. <laughs> like, um, and like, all respect to them, really, like, it's not just Ariel and Blatt. She's so well known, right? Like, there are lots of women who are doing this work. And so I kind of sat with that for a while and went, okay, like, what am I going to do about this? Because it really bothers me a lot. That, right? <laughs> That apparently we're just hiding out there in the world. Um, and about this time, and kind of getting back to the, I really like projects. Uh, I was taking a graduate level gender studies class. And one of the assignments for the class was to create a zine. Um, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term, a zine is... And basically just a self-published magazine, but it has kind of a history of like, uh, like collages as an art form, um, like lots of poetry, things like that. Uh, and also has some really strong roots in uh, women's movements across history. And so I went, is this the thing, right? Like, do we make a zine? Um, and I played with that idea for a while before going... So yes, this makes sense, right? Because of the history with women's movements and women's liberation. Um, but also if we are using a medium that is kind of synonymous with that, our male ally is going to go, oh, well, is this for me? Or is this just a thing for women? And so landed on a magazine. As this is all happening, now we're getting into the name. <laughs> Um, there was also like between Steph and I, and like that's just myself, a lot of conversation around like what we do as audio producers. Like there's a science to it, but there's also, you know, kind of a magic to it as well. As audio producers, we all know that the letter S, it gets a lot of hate. It gets a lot of hate. <laughs> Um, and so kind of embracing that rebellious spirit that is present in feminism globally, I went, you know what? No, we're going with the asses because the people who get it are going to get it. And the people who are bothered, they were never coming along anyway. And you get the bonus uh, S sound with, with the C and sorceresses as well. So you're really, right. really uh, getting your money's worth with the name. I like it. <laughs> right. And I mean, and also all this is English isn't like your first language and you're trying to figure out what letter makes what sound is your learning language. Well, you get a lot of, uh, get a lot of big for your buck there too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As someone uh, who's currently trying to learn German, it, 
I know people are often like English is the hardest language for someone who's not a native speaker to learn. I don't know. I'm, I might gonna throw German in there because it's pretty hard to learn too. <laughs> I right, yeah. As a person of partially German heritage, yeah, like those guttural sounds don't come real naturally. No, to and like forty speaker. varieties of uh and the and stuff. It's too it's too much. It's fine, but we're not we're we don't have to worry about German here we can just no, we can speak no. the english since this is an english <laughs> podcast and right. another question that i always like to ask is a question you wish you were asked more frequently and prior to sound sorceresses you uh, were in higher education so yeah why do you think a career switch from higher education to storytelling makes sense sure thank you for asking um and i'm gonna say i am still working in higher education um Right, like the audio storytelling in the magazine aren't quite paying my fair share of the bills yet. Um, and we're a two, like my family is a two-income family. Um, but I think that public higher education in the United States, very specifically, really struggles from a storytelling challenge, right? That um, we have all this data, right? Just like we do in podcasting. That going to college, any level of college, right? Like whether you're going to your local community college or you go to university or whatever, uh, that it improves your critical thinking skills and generally makes you like a better problem solver uh, and able to work with different types of people more effectively. Um, Right? Like these are all known things that are really helpful. But the story that being told is that this is only good for getting you a job and so I think that the shift really makes sense because those of us who work in the field um, are already doing the storytelling language right like for those of us like myself who are student facing uh, we're kind of taking the policy side of things and we're bringing it forward to students in a way that's like we're trying to help them make sense of this completely nonsensical experience that they're having in America. Um, But we're also taking the student stories and we're bringing it back to uh, policymakers, right? The free application for federal student aid for the upcoming academic year has just rolled out and it's a giant mess. Um, Right. And so we're taking these, or a lot of us, right? We're taking these student experiences of, like kind of how messy this has been and we're the ones who are bringing the stories back right to our um to our congress people and going uh, if we're gonna spend all this money on a new rollout guys like shouldn't we just make college free for everybody like isn't that a great idea um and so right like there really is those of us working in higher education kind of are already serving as these storytelling mediums in multiple directions. And so I think making a move into just telling stories through a medium like podcasting or writing articles about podcasting <laughs> is a really good use of that skill set that you've developed. Um, maybe without getting all of the the burnout and the exhaustion that comes from the repeating themes day in and day out. And 
on the topic of the magazine itself, this is my my journalism heart coming out here, but I always <laughs> I'm I'm a pretty big believer that you can find a story idea almost anywhere. And so I'm just curious. Right. Do you have kind of a, a process, I guess, for finding stories for the magazine? And is there one story that kind of stands out as like sort of weird of how it came together or like you found it in an unusual way or heard about it in an unusual way and then it now exists and you're like oh that was a great story (laughs) um you know I was kind of that weird kid in middle school that like nobody wanted to sit at my lunch table right um and I guess an adult could carry that with me um and so as somebody who had this idea for a magazine, right, where I went, okay, well, I want women writing their own articles. Um, so part of me is, right, like I'm getting people that are reaching out to me and they're going, right, like, hey, this is me and I did all these things. I'd really like to write for your magazine, right? Like, middle school Rachel with not that many friends is going, wait, you, really? Like, you really want to hang out with me? Like, like it's a, it's a wild feeling. And I, um, that is a lot to grapple with, but, um, one article very specifically that is kind of coming to me as I'm rambling here is, um, the January edition came out on January 1st, 2024. Uh, we have eight articles in it that I think are all just exceptional. Um, one that kind of came in at the last minute is from Mary Chan of uh, Organized Sound. And her whole article is talking about kind of like women's style of speaking and how to edit for the way that women speak. Because, like, well, perhaps you see this a lot also, right? In a lot of Facebook groups or podcast editors, there are a lot of grumbles about what are perceived as filler words, right? Like, um, right, like maybe you're stuttering a little bit, right? Like kind of all of that stuff. Um, And when she wrote that article, she said, you know, like, this is just my first draft. Please edit it. I don't feel very confident in it. Um, Which I think is kind of reflective of how a lot of women end up getting treated when we're speaking. And I read the article and I went, oh, my God, this is amazing. And this is perfect. Almost exactly the way that it is, right? Like, there were a few changes, but. To me, really, the beauty of that article specifically is kind of that back and forth validation, like how that showed up initially, like, I don't know, is this going to be okay? And for somebody else to go, this is perfect, like, and you are amazing exactly the way that you are, like, we don't get a lot of that. And and that was really beautiful. I love that. I, I have those same issues. First of all, like is my go-to filler word. I will I will give like all the time. And instead of someone <laughs> said something, I say they're like 
blah, 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 whatever the quote is. And there's been so many times where I freelance write for a bunch of different publications. There's been so many times where I've hit submit and I'm just thinking, I don't know if this is good. <laughs> Am I a good writer? I've done this for years, but am I a good writer? This is not a great not a great story. And then I'll get the feedback that is very positive. And they're, you know, it's it's minimal edits or, you know, they want like one thing changed or something. And it's just it's such a, a rush of emotion coming back to you of just like, oh wait, no, I do know what I'm doing. And it's it's really right. nice to, to have that. Yeah. Well, and I, uh Mary talked about that in her article too um she used the example of uh somebody saying to a friend you should see someone like a therapist um and that if you were listening to that in a podcast an editor might cut the like out right like you should see a therapist Mm -hmm. but like no you might just be talking to your friend and going wow it sounds like you're having a really hard time you should, you know, maybe you should go to therapy or maybe you should talk to somebody who has that skill set. And because we live in America, I understand that you might not actually be able to afford to go to a therapist. Um, but right, like that, that can be a really important, um, it, things that are considered filler words might not actually be a filler word. Like they convey a meaning that is, really significant again one of the uh wonderful uh nuances of the english language right <laughs> now you've talked about all of your different projects that you have and, and how you love starting them and i in most cases i assume continuing to work to work on them so you've also had podcasts of your own so yes what has your experience in podcasting taught you about producing a magazine you know, I think that for, like, for me for a really long time, um, I was nervous to try anything new. Um, right. And I, like a lot of people, and if you're a, a seasoned podcast professional, you might be rolling your eyes a little bit at this part. Um, but I started podcasting in 2020. Uh, a good friend and I, for several years pre-pandemic, had talked about starting a podcast um, to talk about kind of what we had learned about managing our money as young adults. Because, um, yeah, that's kind of, that could be a whole other episode. But, right, like, people don't talk to their daughters about how to manage money, right? Like, there's a lot of sexism and heteronormativity baked into how we treat women with money. Um, (laughs) Right. We have all these things going. Um, She was studying a new job. I was studying a new job. Uh, I had kids. She went back to school. Then I went back to school. And then in 2020, we finally had some space towards the end of the year when we, everybody was used to the lockdowns to go, Hey, we should start this thing. Like, let's do it. We didn't know what we were doing. We had this idea and we figured we would give it a shot. And it was when we got started that I realized that trying something new was something that made me really nervous. And I hadn't really embraced it until I was in it. And so like starting a magazine, that was a big thing. 
right? I went, hey, I started this podcast. We did pretty good. And I think that I have something to contribute here. And so I'm going to try and do something different. Um, I think the other piece of it is, you know, as a person, I do enjoy writing. Um, I am inexplicably to me somehow addicted to being in college. <laughs> so it's good that I work at one because now I don't have to pay. Um, and that's really helpful. But <laughs> um, right, but part of why I like um, being in school is the, is the writing, right? Like you're reading, you're synthesizing, you're writing your own ideas. Um, and that was a skill set that I already had. And I brought it into podcasting and then I brought it into the magazine. Um, and I think the other thing that podcasting taught me was maybe a little bit, a very little bit more how to talk to people without being a total weirdo. Because um, I am. If you meet me in real life, you're probably going to walk away from that conversation going, Rachel is really weird. Like, what was that conversation we just had? <laughs> um, and that's something that's been really helpful, right? As I'm reaching out to folks and going, hey, I have this idea. Do you want to be part of the idea? So, yeah, I think those are kind of, that was very rambling, but top three right there. <laughs> <laughs> now, among your many credentials, you've also been an elected official uh, is is part of oh. your bio, and I've only been elected to my third grade student council, and that was an election where I won by one vote. It was against a friend of mine, and I voted for him. I was like, I don't know if I really oh, want no. this, and so he thought I had voted for myself. He's like, Well, you know, one vote, and I was like, I voted for you, so I don't know what to tell you. I and then <laughs> I uh, I also have been named to the Austin Food Bloggers Alliance. Um, as the social media chair, That's despite awesome. being what I would say the worst social media user out of anyone on the board, and the only person who was running for that position, and it was mainly because the previous person <laughs> said you'd be good at this, and I foolishly believed her. Um, and I'm sure anyone listening from the Austin Food Blogger Alliance would agree that it's gone down, <laughs> gone downhill since I've taken over. But we're all we're all trying our best. We're all doing great. So. Uh, Tell us your elected official story. Was it as like conniving and and devious as the characters in Veep, or was it a more no. a more civil election? <laughs> oh man, you it would be cool if it was like Veep, but no, it was not. Um, so for this tale, I'm gonna have to go back about ten years. Yeah, close to ten. I was a, I served in my local school board, and. At least this is true in Minnesota, and I would assume it's true everywhere else as well. Um, you have to live in the school district to be on the school board. That makes sense. Right? You would think, yeah, you would think that's true across the country. <laughs> right. I hope so. Um, but so about 10 years ago, somebody in my local school board was moving out of the district. Right? They got it. I think like they got a job someplace else or something like that. So this is a little weird for me to think about because I, um, so I now have three children, oldest of which is about to turn 10. So she was like a baby when this is happening. Um, this person resigned. They were going to appoint somebody new to just 
you know, kind of fill the the role on the board until the election. Um, and my husband said, well, Rachel, you should, you should apply. Because uh, I'd been like on student senate in college and stuff like that. Um, so I applied along with a few other people in my community and I did not get appointed. And I went, okay, well, whatever. Like, that's it. Um, and this was, I want to say maybe like in March, March or April of that year. Um, August rolls around that same year. My spouse had just started his master's degree, had a toddler, and I get a phone call from somebody on <laughs> the school board. And she said, uh, Rachel, I was wondering if you were thinking about uh, filing to be on the ballot. And I said, well, no, because I have a full-time job and a toddler and my you know, husband's going back to school. And I said, even if I felt like I had the energy to you know, be on the board, I absolutely do not have the energy to run a campaign. And she said, well, I'm going to tell you something. She said, we have four open seats for this November. Two people have filed. And there were two days left for people to file their names to be on the ballot. <laughs> she said, so probably you wouldn't actually meet the campaign. And I went, oh. Well, okay, so I thought about it a little bit, um, and I I went to the district office, and I paid my $2, and I filed to be on the ballot. Well, it came right down. Five people ended up filing to run in this race, um, and again, I think that this is true nationally. You do have a period of time between when you file to be on a ballot in your jurisdiction and being able to withdraw your name. Several days after that time period had passed for me, um, I found out that I was expecting another baby. And so I went, well, okay, uh, I'm not going to be campaigning because, right, like, my, uh, my campaign slogan probably would have been something like, vote for Rachel Hansen, maybe she won't throw up on you. <laughs> it was... It was rough. Um, November rolls around, election day, um, right? I went to bed because I've never been one of those people that's going to stay up super late, um, right? Like we are recording this at 8 p.m. and I'll probably go to bed when we are done recording. Um, and I was, you know, growing a whole human in my body. So like going to sleep was the right decision. And I woke up in the morning do actually kind of a very strange mix of texts. I was getting a bunch of congratulations text messages from um, like local elected officials on the city council and things like that. Um, and then I was also getting some messages from uh, like our secretary of state saying, you, you didn't win the election. And I was like, what is happening here? Like, did I win? Did I not? But all of <laughs> um, it turns out I did win. <laughs> there was a counting error. Um, the guy who lost wasn't really happy about it. There was a, a recount. Mm. He requested one. Um, it didn't go his way. 
And then for my second term, uh, I, for real that time, ran uncontested, which turned out to be great because I was pregnant once again. But because I wasn't contested, right? Like, it was a pretty chill election season for us. Nobody had any signs out or anything like that because that was also the only thing on the ballot was the school board. Um, and I didn't, actually my term just, my second term just ran out in December of 23 and I did not run for re-election again because and this could be a whole other, other podcast episode <laughs> but i personally believe in term limits i think that that should be a thing um and if the law isn't gonna impose term limits on us we should impose them on ourselves i think that that's the right thing to do so <laughs> i can get behind that yeah. um, i mean and also being a school board member during covid was it was wild. It was a wild time. So, uh, um, very brave soul for for dealing with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I had known, I would maybe not have run again after the end of the first year. I think uh, I think that's safe no. to say. A lot of us, if we had known uh, about COVID years in advance, we might have we might have done a few things differently. Right. Well, or, yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, now I've got my policy brain kind of plugged in real solidly here, but, um, it, you know, we really could have done a lot more in the years leading up to that to actually uh, support the working and middle class to make it through that. And that's, I mean, we all know, right? <laughs> That's not really what wound up happening. <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> it but turns we're gonna... out when people like to be millionaires, <laughs> they don't actually know how to enact policy to help those of us who are not millionaires. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that fun note, you're almost off the hook here, Rachel, but we always like to wrap up with a top three. And I'm headed towards the Millennium Falcon. I'm just kidding, everyone listening. <laughs> I, who are your top three Star Trek characters? All right. I mean, you know, I really, I would like to think that Miles O'Brien, who was in my top three, I think that's fair to say, <laughs> Star Trek characters, he would be right at home in the Millennium Falcon. So... <laughs> excellent excellent right we could do a little cross-universe uh creative engineering here um and i'm gonna say in the top three because i don't know that i would could actually like go one two three right yeah it's not a ranking system it's it's hard yeah um (laughs) so if anybody's gonna come at me like don't come at me please (laughs) i've been a school board member who uh suffered through mass mandates i don't I don't need that. Um, <laughs> but um, so in with the magazine, uh, also was in the top three, Devon Attendee from Lower Decks. Um, she is an Orion crew member uh, on the Cerritos. If you are a person who's familiar with Mike McMahon as a director and animator, 
Rick and Morty is the other show that he is relatively well known for. So if you like Rick and Morty, you're going to like Lower Decks. Um, but she's a crew member on the Cerritos. And a lot of the artwork for Sound Sorceresses is inspired by some of her traditional Orion outfits in Lower Decks. So now that you know, you can look for that. Um, <laughs> and then I have to pick Beverly Crusher as my other in the top three. Um, she was the doctor on the Enterprise with Captain Picard. Uh, and then really famously played. Uh, so she was still Beverly Crusher in Picard, which is kind of a new ish Star Trek series that's out. Um, but she left the Federation, just became an all-around badass. Um, another fun fact about Gates McFadden is that she also did all the choreography for Labyrinth with David Bowie and all those amazing puppets. So another multi-talented person that I just think is great, both in Star Trek and not in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a wonderful list all around and a wonderful job that you're doing. If people want to learn more about Sound Sorceresses, where can they find you? Thank you for asking. Um, so we are living on Substack, which uh, not on purpose, but we just had to get another S in there. <laughs> um, so you can visit us at soundsorceresses.substack.com. Um, we have a bi-monthly newsletter um, to just kind of keep you up to date on what's going on with our writers and um, get you excited about what's coming up next that you can subscribe to in addition to the magazine. Lovely. Well, Rachel, this was so much fun. Thank you for taking the time to chat and excited for all that's to come with Sound Sorceresses. Yeah, thank you. And thank you again for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Absolutely. And of course, we got to end with a corny joke. As we always do, what do you call a dog hanging out at the bottom of a pool? I have no guesses. What? A subwoofer. Get after it today, people. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Ooh.